Amen. 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 When you got it, say so. Romans chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 1. It says like this. It says, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient endurance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach one who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preached that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of the Lord is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your written code and circumcision as a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Lord, thank you so much for your word that you have given us, the truth that sets us free, that allows us to know you and to know your will. God, this morning, 
As we come together, Lord, as we worship you in song, now let us worship you with our minds and our hearts being attentive to your word today. May you, Lord God, speak to us, and may we hear you, and may we respond in faith and obedience and trusting in what you are saying to us, God. May you be glorified in this time as we hear your word today. We pray this all in Jesus' good name, and everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and um, the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. Want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction. Uh, we also want to be sure that you're able to take some notes. Uh, it's very important to me that you're able to take notes. And then lastly, as I always encourage you, you are a disciple of Jesus. And so it is so important that you don't just receive from God, but that you share what you are receiving from the Lord and that you you are utilizing the tools that God has given you in his word and even in the hearing of his word to be able to help someone else grow in their faith. And so I challenge you always to be sure that you are not just hearing what's being preached here on Sunday, but that you're utilizing the outlines and that you take notes and that you sit down with someone and that you share with them what you're learning. This will help you grow in your faith. This will help them grow in their faith. And that's what, it, that's what being a disciple is all about. And so if you look at your outline here, we learned last week, and I just want to recap this because I think that this... This is very important. We learned last week that belief leads to thoughts, thoughts lead to actions, action leads to habits, habits lead to character, and character leads to destiny, and I put there eternal or otherwise, and so the reality is that our destiny is not just eternal, it's natural as well, right? The things that we're going to accomplish, and so ultimately it's eternal in our destiny, but when we think about this, our beliefs is where everything starts and what we learn, and we should know this, right? And it creates certain thoughts in us. And then those thoughts create our actions. The patterns of our lives become our habits. Those habits become our character. And then we have our destiny. So what we're going to wrestle with this week is we're going to look at the source of our beliefs. Where do, our, where do we get our beliefs from? And then also how are beliefs created and can we really change our beliefs? I think that that's important, right? That we understand the source of our beliefs, right? Because some of us believe stuff just because, right? We don't even know why we believe it. Some of us do things and we don't even know why we do it. We just do it, right? There's certain things that we do. Um, as we were growing up, we might have been learning something, right? We may have watched a certain pattern, right? As, as, as you grew up, you may have seen somebody do something every morning, right? Some of you have different, all of us, right, probably have different routines when it comes to how we brush our teeth, right? In the sense of some people, they eat breakfast first, and then they go and brush their teeth. Other people, they brush their teeth first, and then they go and have breakfast, right? And so I I could, I could argue for both positions, right? But, but nonetheless, I can understand why somebody does what they do. But the reason why you do that is probably because what? Because you have certain beliefs that either you inherited, right, from your parents, typically uh, uh, something like that, brushing your teeth. You inherit that from your parents because they either told you, hey, after you breakfast, you need to go brush your teeth. Or they told you before you put anything in your mouth, you need to clean your mouth, right? Something happened like that. And so you have a certain belief, and, and many of us never ask, well, hey, Ma, why do I need to do it like this? We just, we just well, you know, we didn't want to get beat, so that's why we did it, right? So that, that, that was the why, right? So, so we understood why we were doing it, but we didn't know really why, right, like behind that. And so it's like that in our walk of faith. It's like that in our life. I mean, we have certain things that we believe, and so today we want to talk about the source of those beliefs. We want to deal with how those beliefs are developed, and then also 
also to ask the question, can we change our beliefs, not just about brushing our teeth? Are you here? Right? Not just about things that are, that, 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 are, that are minimal, right? Things that don't really matter, but things that really matter. Like, can we really change our beliefs? Right? There's some people that believe that if you were raised a certain way when it comes to religion, that you're stuck in that, and that's just how you're going to be. If you were raised in a Buddhist family, you're going to always be a Buddhist. If you were raised in a Muslim family, you're always going to be a Muslim. If you're raised in a Christian family, you're always going to be a Christian. It's funny because we have so many statistics that would argue against that, especially for Christianity. Come on now. Right? How many of our kids, we have the statistics when they go to college, yet they were raised in Christian homes, and yet many of them, they do what? They depart from the faith, and so obviously it is, it is possible for your beliefs to change. And so we want to look at that. So here's what I want you to think about this morning. If our hearts are not changed by the truth, our lives will not be directed in truth. If our hearts are not being changed by the truth, our lives will not be directed in truth. If our hearts are not being changed, if our hearts are not being transformed by the truth of God, then we are not going to be being directed in the truth of God. We're not going to be living that truth the way that God has called us to live that truth. Why? Because our hearts are not being moved by it. Because our hearts are not being changed by it. And so we have to make sure that our hearts are being changed. Today, we're going to speak on the topic of cut to the heart. And, and we're going to talk about that. And at the end of the sermon, um, there's a scripture that we'll look at in the book of Acts chapter 2. But we're not going to go there right now. But it's about being cut to the heart. Something that has to happen is when God's word is, is entering our lives, it must be impacting our lives. It can't just be coming into our ears. I often say this, whenever we are, whenever we are listening to the Bible or reading the Bible, we need to make sure that we are engaged fully in what we're doing. We cannot just be having the Bible in the background. The Bible has to be in the forefront of that moment of our lives or the scriptures will just enter in through our ears and uh, the, the, the proverbial enter in one, through, one ear and out through the other is what will occur if we're not engaged in the word of God. If we're not engaging with God in scripture. And so if our hearts are not changed by truth, our lives will not be directed by truth. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say the truth of God's goodness, truth of God's goodness. should turn our hearts. The truth of God's goodness should turn our hearts. And I don't know if you noticed as we read that text, Paul in the book of Romans, I don't know, he, he seems to do this in Romans um, a lot, right? Where he says stuff that is confusing, right? Like he'll say something and he'll kind of like repeat it. And, and, and the, the most known source of scripture is Romans 7 where he talks about the thing that I should do, I don't do. The thing that I don't do, that I shouldn't do, I do. And, and he, he gets like all confused. But he does the same thing in this text here, right? As he's speaking, as we're reading through it and, and as we that we got a lot to unpack and so I want us to look at I want you to know I'm not going to go through every single verse here um, and break down every single verse meticulously because if we did that we would be here for hours right we would have to be here till like five in the evening for us to really walk through every single verse but I want us to focus on the heart of this verse uh, of these this particular portion of scripture and so after Paul addresses now remember we came out of Romans chapter one right and we dealt with and I hope you guys are memorizing the memory verse and you're going through that you know, the power of the gospel, that you're getting that down deep in your heart. And then we dealt with last week, right? We ended there the first week. And then last week, um, Pastor Dan Holland, he began to walk through this other portion of scripture where it was talking about the rebellion of man. 
was talking about the rebellion of mankind in general. Specifically, it was talking about pagans, right? Meaning those who are not covenant people, right? People in general that have rebelled against the Lord. And so Paul, I mean, if you read it, and I hope that you did, he, he did a pretty good job of, of, of making it crystal clear that mankind has rebelled against God and that they're under God's judgment because of their own decisions, right? He does that clearly. He's making a point, though, as he's transitioning here, and if you have your outline there, right, you remember as we look at the portion here, the second thing here, sin, righteousness demanded, right, you remember that from verse 1, from verse 1, chapter 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, which is where we'll cover next week, right, all the way through there, it is dealing with what? Righteousness demanded. So the first thing that we saw last week was the Gentiles were guilty, Right? That's what we saw last week. And this week, we're going to look at the Jews being guilty. This is important, again, because it keeps us in the context. And it helps us to remember that the Apostle Paul is transitioning in his conversation, speaking. He's speaking to everyone in general, right? But he is speaking specifically to certain groups at certain moments, right? He's letting them know, hey, this clearly people are sinful because of this. So he's addressing certain groups. So he deals with that and he starts talking today. He's going to deal with Jewish people. He's going to deal with his Jewish hearers that are there because you know what they were doing the whole time? I'm going to tell you what they were doing. They were sitting there and they were listening to this. They were like, yeah, that's y'all. That's what they were doing. It's kind of like when I'm preaching through the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm talking about husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, and the wife is like, uh-huh, uh-huh, come on now. And then all of a sudden, I come to the part where wives submit to your husband, and the husband, uh-huh, come on now, right? And everybody's looking at each other like, oh, you need to hear this. You need to hear this, right? And so Paul is, is, is letting his hearers know, yeah, y'all need to hear this. Are you here? Right? Everybody in the room needs to hear this, not just the Gentiles. They don't need to just know about their sin. And you don't need to sit there, you know, with your, you know, when you wear glasses, like glass down the nose, looking at someone like, uh-huh, I see you, right? It's not just that, hold on a second, it's like, let's look at the mirror right quick. Because all of us fall under this category. And so after addressing the pagans, he now begins to address a specific sin head on. And that sin is this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. It is unrighteous judgment. Because what the Jewish people were most guilty of in this moment was unrighteous judgment. It wasn't that they weren't guilty of sin in general, as we're going to see as we look through the text. But they were most guilty of unrighteous judgment, right? God's demand for righteousness. They were unable to fulfill that either. And so specifically, he's talking to them because they believe. Now, hear me when I say this. They believe their righteousness was enough to judge others and be found justified before God. They believe believed that their righteousness was enough to judge others because they were Jewish. Are you here? They believed that their righteousness was enough to judge others and be found justified before God. The issue is their judgment is comparative. It is not absolute. Their, their judgment was comparative. It was between mankind. So what they were doing was they were looking at this group of people called Gentiles or Greeks, right, pagans. They were looking at that group, and they're looking at the heinousness of their sins, right? They're looking at them. They're saying, man, you guys were idolatry right and we know that there's only one God so we're not idolaters and you guys are out there not only are you idolaters but you are sexually immoral and not only are you sexually immoral but man you are going down this path of homosexuality I mean you are taking it to this whole different level you're creating ways to do sin and so they're looking at their Gentiles and they're like you guys are big-time sinners you guys 
are big time sinners. But we, we're Jews. We're not sinners like you. Can I tell you something? If you don't know this yet, that's what happens to us many times. We start looking out the window and we start looking, or we start looking in the window of other people's lives. And we start seeing the sins that they are committing. We start to see them, as Pastor Dan pointed out, they're gossipy. Well, you're not a gossip, right? So you don't, this person is always talking about someone, right? We start looking at their sins. Oh, I see that person lying. Well, I'm not a liar. You know, I don't, I don't lie. I don't do that. We start to see people doing all of these things. And all of a sudden, we forget that we are sinners just like them. And the Jewish people here, they were forgetting that they were sinners just like them. And so what happens is the issue is their judgment, again, is comparative between mankind. It's not absolute from God's perspective. And while they condemned others, here's what was happening. They were blinded because of two things. Number one, because they minimized God's standards. And number two, they underestimated the depth of their own sin. Number one, they minimized God's standards. And number two, they underestimated the depth of their own sin. And what was the result of that? The result is not just that they were false, faulty in a false way judging the, the other people around them, but they, but they were becoming ungrateful to God's goodness. I want you to think about some of the things the Apostle Paul says. I was just going to read to verse 4, but look at what he says here. We're going to we're, we're go here. We're gonna look, let's just read down from verse 1. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. So pause there. So he's saying, therefore... And because of everything that I've just said, and then he says, you are inexcusable, oh man. And then he goes on to say what? Whoever you are who judge. And so in other words, if you're judging, right, you're inexcusable. Whoever you are that judge, he says, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Are you hearing me now? The way you judge other people, you know, when, when, when you start judging other people, you start calling them hypocrites. Guess what? You judge yourself. Because you're a hypocrite just like them, right? So for all of us, right, no matter where you are, when you feel a certain way about someone, you start judging them in that way. You start looking down on them. Oh, hold on a second. You're condemning yourself because you're forgetting that you are an equal sinner just like them. Whoever it is who is judging, right? And so he points it out specifically, and we know this by verse 17. He's specifically talking to Jews. That's how we know that. That is who he's communicating to here. But he simply says that whoever's judging, you are practicing the same things. He's not saying you're doing the exact same things. Are you here? What he's, he's not saying you're doing. He, so he's not saying you're not doing the. He's not saying you're doing the exact same things as them. But you are sinning equally as they are. That's what he's saying. You're a sinner just like them is what he's communicating to them. He says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth, according to those who practice such things. And do you, and do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, hold on a second here. I, and th this, this messes me up when I read this. Because when I read scriptures like this, I always have to remind myself, this is not something that is being preached on a street corner somewhere to a bunch of heathens. This is a letter that is being read to the church. This is the letter that the church people got together and like, oh, we got a letter from Paul. Y'all ever, ever get a letter and you're excited about it? You ever get, you, yeah, anybody? No, only Pastor Aldo. Okay, amen. All right, good. So thank you. I'm glad. So I'll talk to you. So, you know, you're the one who I got, I guess, text, right, whatever. But, but, I mean, you ever get something in the mail, right? Like, you're excited about this. Like, like someone sent you something, right? And, and, and these people were like, oh, my goodness, the apostle Paul has written to us. 
Like this is exciting stuff. And he starts off, he's encouraging them. He's telling them, hey, I want to come see you. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I've heard about your faith. Hey, I really want to be. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. Therefore, and all of a sudden they get to this place, and, I, and I'm thinking they were probably like, hold on a second, wait, wait, let's go back. Let's, let's rewind, right? Let's go back to the beginning when he was talking about all this good stuff, that he's not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power. Like, like let's stay there. Let's just stay in the memory verse, right? Like, that's it. But, he's, but he comes to them, and he is like cracking a whip on these people, and he's telling them, hold on, he's, he's talking to them about God's judgment. Are you here? This is what he's talking about. He's talking about God's judgment. And he's telling these people, you have judged wrongly, and therefore you are subjecting, you're, you're positioning yourself to experience this judgment. Okay, let's keep reading on what he says. I love what he says in verse 4. He says this. He says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, that, 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 that's a big verse there. You see, because he's telling them that what leads you to repentance is this. It is that God is good, that God is forbearing, and that God is long-suffering. That is what leads you to repentance. The fact that God is good, there is no darkness in him. There is no unrighteousness in him. He is a good God. He, has, he is a good, good God. We have to believe that, right? Not just that, but he is forbearing. What does that mean? It means he holds back his wrath. I don't know about you, but I know there's plenty of times that I should have been dead because of my sin against God. I should have been struck dead because of my sin against God, and yet he is forbearing. And not only does he hold back his judgments toward us, but he is also long-suffering when it comes to his dealing with us. He is not just forbearing. He is good all the time, even when we're undeserving. He doesn't just hold back his wrath, but he does it for a long time. Are you here? And all of this stuff, he's saying, listen, God is forbearing. Do you despise his goodness? Do you look down your nose at his goodness? See, here's what happens. When you minimize God's standards and when you underestimate your sinfulness, you know what you do? You don't appreciate God's goodness. And what was happening was these people that are these Jewish people here that he's speaking to in this moment, they were not appreciative of the goodness of God, not realizing that God's goodness was supposed to bring them to repentance. And so we continue reading in the text. And he says, but in accordance, look at now again, this is like heavy stuff. He is speaking to the church, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Is that clear? Do I need to expound on that? That's clear, right? I think that's clear. I mean, I think that's black and white. Like you, you are because your heart is hard, right? Because you think that because of your circumcision, right, because of your, because of your title as a Jew, you think that you're okay, that you don't need to change, that you don't need to repent. You are storing up for yourself. Here's what I need you to understand. Just because you're in the building doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're hearing a letter doesn't mean that you are a believer, right? That, I mean, this is what he's saying because he's obviously communicating about real wrath, about real judgment. He's not just talking about God saying, hey, man, you really messed up. You missed that. Go ahead and go to your, your mansion. That isn't what he's saying here. He's talking about a real judgment that these people are storing up for themselves because they are not recognizing God's holiness. And he goes on to say, he says this in verse 6, 
He says, who will render to each one according to his deeds? Right? Now, I want to pause for a moment because as we read this, I don't want you to get confused. What the Apostle Paul is doing is he is speaking in general about judgment. He is not saying here that somehow you earn salvation. That's not what he's talking about. I want you to get that because it needs to be down in your heart. You need to understand that God is going to give us according to our deeds for sure. If you are righteous, guess what happens? You don't have to worry. if you. When I say righteous, what I mean is if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are going to be judged. You're going to receive exactly what uh, according to your your deeds you're going to get according to your deeds that's what the scripture says but you're not going to be judged based on your sin if you have put your faith in Jesus right but if you have not put your faith in Jesus then you are going to be judged based upon your sin but here's the point that Paul is making here if you have already trusted in this gospel to save you you know what happens you're this first group of people you are living righteously. You are living holy. You're not living unrighteously. You know why? Because your heart has been changed. Your beliefs have been changed. You understand what God's standards are. So now you are living for his glory, living toward his standards, right? So I, I, I want to pause there because you need to understand that. Don't misunderstand this when you're sitting down with your disciple and going through um, chapter 2. And they're like, well, so what are we saying? We just have to work? No, 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 no. That's not what, he, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's communicating God's general standard of judgment. He is going to judge based upon works. We're going to be judged based upon those things. And so he goes on in verse 7. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now look, he points that out. If you're a believer, you should be seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. You should be continuing in the faith. Listen, it's, about, it's, it's not about just one day saying a prayer. Are you here? It's not just about believing some things. That's not what this is about, right? If I really believe, right, my life has to be changed by that belief. Anybody in the scriptures that you see that believe, their life was changed as a result. They didn't just say, hey, I believe, and now I'm going to keep living how I was living. Now, they need discipleship. Are you here? They needed to be developed. I mean, if you look at the epistles, obviously the church was a mess. People didn't just automatically come to faith one day, and then they knew everything they were supposed to do. They needed teaching. They needed discipleship, but they understood what Jesus had done. And so he goes on, verse 8, he says, But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Now remember, remember the gospel, right? For the power of God unto salvation unto all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, right? So the gospel comes to the Jew first, right? Judgment comes to the Jew first. Why? Because the Jewish people, they had the oracles of God. We're going to see that next week. They had the word of God. They knew the truth of God. And so they're the ones that get the judgment first why because they know better they know what God's standards are it's the same thing for us as believers today we know what God's standards are and so we obviously have a greater accountability to that truth he goes on to say verse 10 but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek verse 11 for there is no partiality with God this is so, such a powerful verse there is no partiality with God that literally means there is no receiving of face from God in other words what God does is he or what God doesn't do is he doesn't look at you and like hey you know what you're so and so and so you know because you're who you are come forward no 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 that's not it he doesn't look to say, oh, you know, you're from that family, so you know what you got. You, you sit in the front row. No, no, no. It's not like that. With God, it's about the blood of Jesus. 
With God, it's about the blood of Christ. It's about what Jesus did. It's about that sacrifice for us. And so the apostle Paul continues on. Verse 12, he says, For as many as have sinned without the law also will perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Now, if you just skip down for a moment because there is a parenthesis there. It's going to confuse everything that Paul is saying. So I want to skip down to verse 16. So we're going to read verse 12 again and then skip down to verse 16. And then we'll come back and unpack these other verses. But he says there in verse 12, he says, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged judged by the law in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. What is Paul saying again? He's giving a general breakdown of how judgment happens. God is going to judge, right? The Bible clearly says this. And so this becomes so important for us because what? Because we know that God is going to judge us and he's going to judge us based on our actions. But here's what we have to see. What we have to see is that Paul is saying there's some people that they're going to die without full knowledge of the law. And guess what? They're going to die. They're not going to be judged the same way that somebody that has full knowledge is going to be judged. Listen, if I'm a guy and I've never read the Bible, I am not going to be judged based upon every single command that's there. Are you here? My life's not going to be judged by that. But here's what you have to understand because God is making it so crystal clear of the way that he is. Now, look at this because this is where we have to realize that God gives everyone light and everyone will be judged by the measure of the light they've been given. Are you here? Listen to this now. Look what he says in verse 13, the parentheses. He says, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be just. Doesn't that sound like something else? That sounds like the book of James, doesn't it? It's not the hearers alone. It's the doers of the, it's not those who say they have faith. It's those who are living faith. And so again, it just points us to that reality. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, this is where Paul gets confusing, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing them or else excusing them. Can I tell you what, what Paul is telling us here? He's telling us that no man is with excuse. Everyone has been given that inner knower to know the laws of God. He's saying that even Gentiles have something inside of them that say, hey, that's sinful. Are you here? He said, without a Bible, without a preaching, there is something that God has placed inside of all of them. And so no man is going to come before God without excuse because you know what we all do? And we're going to see this in chapter 3 clearly. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so when we stand before God, listen to me. People ask this question all the time. Well, what about the people who never heard the gospel? They heard their conscience. And that may sound terrible to you, but here's what I want you to know. Those people that stand before God, they're going to hear. God is going to let them know, hey, I was speaking to you and you were rejecting me. Because here's the thing. God only has to give you enough light for you to respond to it. Are you here? I know it may sound really bad to some people like, oh, well, you're saying God doesn't give everyone equal opportunity. What I am telling you is this, is that God gives everyone the light that's necessary. So that way when they stand before him in judgment, guess what? They're guilty. Are you here? He shows them because here's what I know. Here's what I know for sure. I don't know if you ever heard any of these stories. You ever heard about those people that they grew up in like they're in Muslim countries. They're in prison somewhere. And all of a sudden they have a dream with some guy that they don't know who he is and, and they get saved. You know those, you know what happens there? You know what's going on? Those people are responding to God in their conscience. They're responding to God in faith. They're really seeking after God based on the light that they have, based on creation, the way that we see in chapter one. I can't believe I have two minutes and 51 seconds and I'm in point one here. Um, <laughs> 
I'm sorry, there's just so much to go for. But, here, but here's the thing, right? The thing is this, is that we, these people are responding to the light that God has given them. And in their response to the light, you know what God does? God sends the full light of the gospel to them. Are you here? This is what he does. But if you are a person who is rejecting God's light, you're rejecting his reality, you're rejecting your conscience. And in the United States, I want you to know if there is one place that nobody can escape from the reality that there is knowledge of God, it is here. Because there are Bibles everywhere. There's internet everywhere. I mean, there is everywhere all kind of revelation coming to us. So a third world country, maybe somewhere over there, someone can say, hey, I never heard the gospel. And still, before God, they're going to be guilty. Why? Because God says they died without the law, but they rejected the law that I put in their hearts. And in that rejection, they're showing that they don't want God. And so if they don't want God, then God is just in his judgments toward them. And so bringing us to our second point here, second point, say this with me. The truth, the truth. Of, our of our moral incapacity, our moral incapacity. Must, challenge must challenge our hearts. The truth of our moral incapacity must challenge our hearts. Look at verse 18. Well, verse 17 says this. We'll start in verse 17 really quickly. It says, indeed, you are called a Jew. Again, we know he was speaking to the Jewish people here. And listen to this now. Now, look at this resume. He tells them, you rest on the law. You make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Do you hear all that? That's, that's a pretty powerful resume, is it not? See, this is, this is how beliefs are formed, right? So, so we understand beliefs create our thoughts, right? But how, and, and, though, and the truth, what we believe is the truth, the truth is what? Is that God is holy, we are not, right? And so God sent his son to die for us, and we can only be saved by him. That is the truth. What we hold is truth, that becomes the source of our beliefs. Whether it's right or wrong, that becomes the source of our beliefs, and here we see how that source grows. It's over time. See, here's what you have to realize is that some of us were intentionally taught, intentionally indoctrinated. That's what happened here to these Jewish people. They were intentionally indoctrinated all of their life. They were taught the law of God. Others of us, we've been, our, our truth has been developed through life circumstances, Right? We've gone through stuff in our life, and so that becomes our truth. And some of us are wrestling because we know the truth of God's word, but our life circumstances, right, they don't mesh. And so we're struggling to bring those two together. And I want to encourage you, hold on to God's truth above any experience you have. Hold on to God's truth. Wrestle with that. Don't give up on, on God because you have a life circumstance that doesn't align with what you think the Bible says or what you think should happen in Scripture. I met a young man yesterday, and we were having a conversation, found out that I was a pastor. And in the conversation, he, you know, he was like, man, I have so many questions. And I'm like, well, go ahead, man. I'll give you my number. You can call me and ask me. And obviously, he was going to bombard me with like a million. And so my wife was like, you know, she said, well, if you had one opportunity to ask him one question, what would you ask? And the young man said, he paused and he said, I want to know why my parents left me when I was six months old. The kid grew up in foster care system and he grew up in, 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 in group homes and things like that. And it was a tough question. I, you know, my wife is like, and then, I, you know, I, I had to like compose myself, right? Because emotions start to get the best of me at the moment. I'm like, I'm not going to break down and cry in front of this dude and be like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, like, you know. <laughs> But the reality is what is that, and, and, and I use the best analogy that I could, and what I know is this, is that God is good, 
right? And so I realized this is that what I know, and I said to him, I said, you know, man, the only thing that I can tell you is that you don't know what would have happened to you had you been with your parents and they didn't leave you at six months. That's the only thing that I can say to you, and God knows best. And I said, and I'll give you an example, and I said, I hate to minimize your situation to what I'm about to say. I said, but there's some days that I wake up, and I'm late, and I don't mean to be late, or I'm behind somebody super slow in a car, or something like that, and I come up to a, to a light that I would have been at, or a place, and I see a terrible accident. And I said, and when I get to that accident, I realize, man, if I would have been on time, I could have been dead. And I don't even realize that this thing that seemed like a setback for me is something else. And, you know, he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, and he wasn't bitter or anything. He said, I, I appreciate that. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that, look, we have to trust what God says, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our life thing, because that's what we can believe. And so these Jews, they had this belief that they were all of this. They were boasting in God, like we just read here. But let's look at what Paul does, because Paul halts them. And look what he says there. He says in verse 21, after, they, after he runs down their resume, remember Paul is a Jew of Jews. He says, you, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Hold on a second. Wait a second. I thought you were supposed to be, they thought, they thought they were teaching everybody. And Paul is like, are you not teaching yourself? He says, you who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? So he's like, hold on a second. I know, I know you think you're all that. I know you believe this about yourself. I know you think you don't deserve God's judgment. I know you think you don't need God's grace. I know you think that you're walking in perfection, but I need you to check yourself here. He says, you who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? These are all rhetorical questions. Paul is not waiting for them to answer because his answer is here in verse 24. He says, for the name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. So Paul is saying, look, you think you're teachers, you think you're preachers, you think you're guides, you think that you're light, you think that you're all of this, but you are in the dark, you need the light, you think you're teaching, you need teaching, you think you're preaching, you need preaching because of what? He says, because the world is looking at you, and they're doing what? They're saying, man, those people are, are not really followers of God. This is what he's telling them. He's communicating this to them. He's challenging their beliefs, and he's saying, wait a second. I want you to understand that you need God. Two things we need to grasp here. Number one is that our righteousness cannot be in ourselves. Our righteousness cannot be in our own abilities, our own goodness. It cannot be in that. And the other things we have to realize is that God wants us to walk under his power, under his grace for what? So that we can be witnesses for the gospel. Notice Paul brings it back to that. He never leaves that theme when he's talking. It's never just about you or me or you getting better. It's not about that just for us. It's about us being witnesses to the world of God's goodness and God's grace. And the third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the truth is our hearts can only be changed by the Spirit of God. Now, I don't have time to get into all of these verses here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to realize that what he says here, verse 25, just read verse 25, and then I read verse 29. He says, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Uh, I'm going to read it all here, so let's read it together, right? You're going to be a little late leaving. And it says, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as, as circumcision? I just want to hear you the, the, I want you to hear the confusion again of what Paul is saying, right? He says, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? 
For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from man but from God. Circumcision was a sign God gave to Abraham as a reminder of God's covenant with his people. And yet, it became a bragging right for the Jewish people instead of a reminder of grace a call to obedience. Are you here? I know this firsthand, my brother will be here in second service, but his, his father is Jewish, and my grandmother was, was, has been the only Christian in our family all of our lives, and I remember growing up, he never wanted to go to church, and you know why he would say? He says, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm God's chosen people. And I'm pretty sure he was being sarcastic, so let me just throw that in there. Like, he didn't think he was great. He knew he was whatever. But he would throw that in there. And you know what? That thought right there was a reality that, that permeates throughout many people who are Jewish or many people who are whatever. They think that because of this that they deserve something from God. And the reality is God says, no, your circumcision was supposed to be a reminder of my grace and a call to obedience the Jews, the apostle is addressing, they were depending upon their circumcision and knowledge of God's righteousness for their justification, their salvation. That's what this is about. They were believing that they were okay with God without putting their faith in Jesus. Yet the apostle lets them know that that was not enough, especially, now listen to this, when the uncircumcised people were acting more circumcised than them. Are you here? He says, won't they judge you? And there's two ways that this is going to happen. It's obviously in the eternal sense, right? I mean, they're, 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 that's going to happen there. But in the natural sense, you know what they do? They look at you and they're like, man, you don't even live your standards. Sounds a lot like today. As followers of Jesus, we cannot depend upon labels, titles, or external behavior to define us. We must submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says at the end. But he is a Jew, verse 29, who is not one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God. We have to submit to the Spirit of God who is cutting us by the conviction of his grace and his truth. And we have to do what? We have to embrace the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. So all this hard truth that Paul brings forth, he does what? He lets us still know about the grace of God that comes by the Spirit of God. The gospel reminds us of what? That there is power to save. There is power of forgiveness. There is power of healing in the gospel. God can make us right with him. And so if you're sitting here and you're feeling bad because you're like, man, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a liar. I'm an adulterer. Whatever it is that you're feeling, if you're feeling the weight of that, you need to experience the liberty that there is in Christ because of the gospel. You can be changed and transformed. And so here is my closing question for you. Has the truth cut you to the heart? Has the truth cut you to the heart? I said it earlier. If your heart, if our hearts are not changed by truth, our lives will not be directed by truth. And I told you that we would look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And in that particular portion of scripture, that particular portion of scripture is where the apostle Peter was preaching the, the first sermon. And when he preached that first sermon after the upper room experience, the Bible says that in the midst of this, that they were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do? And that's, when, and that's when Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, right? He communicates that truth to them. And so we have to ask this question, has the truth cut you to the heart? And listen, I'm not talking to you about one day. Some of you may remember, I remember one day in particular, the first time that God's truth ever cut me to the heart. I remember that day. 
I remember that day like it was yesterday. I'll never forget that day, the day that I was born again. But, but, but here's what I want you to know. I can remember many days after that. I may not remember the exact days, but I remember many days after that where God was cutting and God is still cutting. I remember days and moments and recent times in my life where God is cutting. Every time I get in his word, I'm like, man, I sense that cutting and that thing that is happening and God is at work in me. And so my question is not, do you remember one day? My question is, are you in a relationship that is living and that God is cutting away truth because he's cutting away the lies with his truth? If that's not happening, then you need to repent before God today. You need to call upon God today. You need to humble your heart before God today and say, God, I want to receive that grace that is in the gospel to be forgiven. Amen? So I stand on our feet and let's pray together. Father, we come to you today with humility in our hearts. We come to you today with gratefulness in our hearts. We come to you today thanking you so much for the goodness that you have shown us. We thank you, God, because there is no one who is like you in the heavens. There is no one who is like you on the earth. And so, Lord, I pray today for brothers and sisters in here that, Lord, want to live for your glory, that maybe have lost that cutting in their hearts, maybe have become hardened because of life. God, may you begin a fresh work in them today, Lord God. I pray for anyone that is in here that, that Lord, they, don't, they hear your truth. It doesn't do anything to them, Lord God. They read your Bible. It doesn't do anything for them, God. Father, I pray that you would grant them repentant hearts before you. You would draw them unto you. And that you, would, that you would fill them with your grace, with your power, Lord God, that you would bring new life into them, Lord Jesus. And God, we thank you today because we know that you are working in us. So continue that great work of cutting, removing, and making us more and more like you, God. We want to glorify you in all things. And we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise. I'm going to invite Lizelle to come forth um, this morning. So you guys.